As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Anybody who's looking at this carefully realizes that there's a distinct anti-science flavor to this. So if they get up and really aim their bullets at Tony Fauci, what was easy to criticize, but they're really criticizing science. I represent science. Anyone who looks carefully at the federal government's response to the COVID-19 pandemic will indeed find an anti-science flavor to it. But that antipathy towards science didn't come from the government's critics. It came from Dr. Anthony Fauci, who consistently contradicted himself, concealed information, and often told outright lies. You said there was pushback. Where did that pushback come from? No, it wasn't. That was the wrong choice of words. As 15 Days to Slow the Spread enters into its third year, it's easy to forget that the government's response to the COVID-19 pandemic was not always one of caution and fear. In the early days of the epidemic, many politicians, particularly politicians in the Democrat Party, threw caution to the wind. The American people need to have a president who is going to act rationally about it. But we do want to say to people, come to Chinatown, here we are. These glib dismissals of the threat posed by the novel coronavirus leaking out of China were not merely being spouted by uninformed politicians. They were also the official position of Dr. Anthony Fauci, the nation's leading infectious disease official. Although Dr. Fauci would go on to become the leading voice for alarm amid the pandemic, in the early days of COVID, Dr. Fauci downplayed the threat. Um, Bottom line, we don't have to worry about this one, right? This is not a major threat for the people in the United States, and this is not something that the citizens of the United States right now should be worried about. Clear as day. But then, a month later, something strange happened. There should be universal wearing of masks. There should be the extent possible social distancing, avoiding crowds, outdoors always better than indoors, and being a From his perch at the helm of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, Dr. Fauci had amassed a great deal of prestige and influence over the years. In 2008, President George Bush awarded Dr. Fauci the Medal of Freedom, the nation's highest civilian honor. From 1983 to 2002, Fauci was the 13th most cited scientist in the world, across all disciplines, among nearly 3 million authors, according to the Institute for Scientific Information. When Fauci spoke, people listened. 
the confines of transmissibility now going to be loosening up and broadening up. In essence, AIDS is a difficult disease to catch. You can't isolate yourself from the rest of the world for the whole flu season. I would like to see a dramatic diminution of the personal interaction that we see. Whatever it takes to do that, that's what I'd like to see. We will do what the establishment media have refused to do. We will give you an unvarnished look at the career of the most powerful politician in America. This man didn't amass all this power overnight. He had several test runs over the decades. The best scientists do not become administrators. The best scientists stay in the labs. That's the conclusion that author Bruce Nussbaum came to. In his 1990 study of the federal government's failure to effectively fight the AIDS epidemic, Nussbaum's criticism applied to the entire government-run public health apparatus. But he was referring to one bureaucrat in particular. What I'd like to do is discuss with you a topic which I'm sure all of you are aware of. And that is the subject of the acquired immunodeficiency syndrome, because it really is one of the only subjects where you really have to change your lecture every month. Dr. Anthony Fauci may have been, in Bruce Nussbaum's words, a lackluster scientist. But he has always been a masterful politician who first came to public prominence in 1984 when he took over the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. Fauci's true vocation, the author observed, was not science, but empire building. Fauci had risen to the helm of the NIAID just three years after doctors first noticed a deadly illness spreading among homosexual men in New York, Los Angeles, and San Francisco. To isolate this, as you see here, the causative agent of, H- of, of AIDS. Just last year, Fauci told a reporter from The Guardian, my career and my identity has really been defined by HIV. The American people first got to know Dr. Fauci as the government's public face on the AIDS epidemic story tonight, we'll talk with a leading scientist about his work in AIDS research. His fame from that period helped to justify his outsized influence over the government's COVID response four decades later. Larry Kramer, co-founder of the Gay Men's Health Crisis, observed that in order to make an appointment with Dr. Fauci, one did not call his secretary or his personal assistant, but rather his press officers, quote, who book talks and interviews like movie stars. Much like today, at the height of the AIDS epidemic, the most dangerous place in America was the space between Dr. Fauci and a TV camera. It gives me a great deal of pleasure and excitement to to, to talk about AIDS. As HIV and AIDS spread around the country, there were two distinct ways to fight the epidemic, vaccines or therapeutic treatment. With limited resources, the federal government 
could either focus on drugs that would suppress the virus and transform it from a terminal illness into a chronic disease, or focus on finding a vaccine that would prevent you from contracting the virus in the first place. Fauci, an immunologist by training, took the vaccine approach. Dr. Anthony Fauci is hopeful that the answer to this dreaded disease may be in sight. I believe now that we have the agent in hand that the amount of effort and energy that's being put into it by biomedical sciences that within a reasonable period of time we'll have a lot of these answers. Well, it's certainly nice to know that the future looks brighter. It's been nearly four decades since Fauci first started searching for a vaccine, and we still don't have one. Nevertheless, AIDS has gone from a death sentence to a perfectly manageable illness. But that happy turn of events did not happen because of Dr. Fauci. If anything, the United States got AIDS under control in spite of him. By 1987, more than a million Americans had been infected by HIV. And yet the government had failed to produce a single drug treatment. As Nussbaum noted in 1990, Fauci barely survived. And even then, only by handing over control of the government's only AIDS drug trial program to a pharmaceutical company. Dr. Tony Fauci, director of the National... Guys like Fauci get up there and start talking. You know, he didn't know anything really about anything. And I'd say that to his face. Nothing. During the first few years of Fauci's tenure at the helm of NIAID, the public health guru had spent $374 million on AIDS treatment research, with little, if anything, to show for it. Larry Kramer berated him as an incompetent idiot who had established only a system of waste, chaos, and uselessness. Thanks to help from the private sector, the government finally came out with a single drug, azetothymidine, or AZT, to treat the illness. The FDA approved the drug on March 19, 1987. It was heralded as a breakthrough and the light at the end of the tunnel and the agency approved it faster than any other drug up until that point in U.S. history. And the drug came with a hefty price tag, roughly $8,000 per patient per year, $17,000 inflation adjusted. Still, who can put a price on one's own life? If it worked, it was worth it. And ACT did seem to work, at least at first. But the patients taking it soon began to show increasing levels of the virus. Actually, they began to show increasing levels of a new, more virulent virus, which had mutated to resist the drug. More troubling still, the drug itself was extremely toxic. Yet despite warnings that AZT should only be used as a last-ditch effort to save AIDS patients on the brink of death, Dr. Fauci pushed to expand prescription. In 1989, the government announced that a full 1.4 million Americans living with HIV even those without any symptoms, could benefit from taking the drug. Fauci claimed that two years of studies had clearly shown that early use of AZT would help to keep AIDS at bay. But Spin Magazine, which had taken particular interest in the government's work on AIDS, and in Anthony Fauci in particular, couldn't seem to track down a copy of the much-touted study. In fact, when Spin requested the data from the NIH, the government scientists told them that the study was still being written. In the case of AZT's effectiveness, the government had been relying on some questionable numbers. 
Dr. Joseph Sonneman, who died in January of 2021, was a major AIDS researcher from the earliest days of the epidemic. In fact, he was one of the first physicians to notice the disease among his gay male patients. And Dr. Fauci himself described Sonneman as one of the true soldiers in the war against HIV, a model for a real translation of care to the patient. And Dr. Sonneman vigorously criticized the government's approach to AZT under Fauci's leadership. It's terribly dishonest the way they portrayed those numbers, Sonneman believed. Worse still, AIDS patients, including those showing few, if any, symptoms, had for years been prescribed high doses of the toxic drug. Some activists even suggested prescribing it to uninfected people if they happened to be at risk. A French study published in The Lancet in December of 1988 found that AZT was too toxic for most people, had no lasting effect on HIV levels in the blood, and left patients with fewer T4 cells than they had started with. Gene Fedorko, the president of health education AIDS liaison, considered the government's support for mass prescription madness. I am absolutely convinced, he said, that people enjoy a better quality of life and survive longer who do not take AZT. I think it's horrible the way people are bullied by their doctors to take this drug. We get people coming to us shaking and crying because their doctors said they'll die if they don't take AZT. That is an absolute lie. Prominent AIDS activist Michael Callan put it in more personal terms. I wouldn't take AZT if you paid me. I've gotten the SHIT kicked out of me for saying this, but I think using AZT is like aiming a thermonuclear warhead at a mosquito. In May of 1983, in an editorial alongside a peer-reviewed article in the Journal of the American Medical Association, Dr. Fauci suggested that routine close contact, as within a family household, can spread the disease, hypothesizing, if indeed the latter is true, then AIDS takes on an entirely new dimension. As we're seeing virtually as the months go by, other groups that can be involved and, and seeing it in children is really quite disturbing. When you say other close contact, give me some examples. Well, for example, if, if the close contact of a child is a household contact, perhaps there will be a certain number of cases of individuals who are just living with and in close contact with someone with AIDS or at risk of AIDS who does not necessarily have to have uh, intimate sexual contact or share a needle, but just the ordinary close contact that one sees. With hindsight, we know that Fauci's suggestion was not true. He went on to admit this himself the following year in another peer-reviewed journal, The Annals of Internal Medicine. There is no evidence, Fauci then wrote, that the acquired immunodeficiency syndrome can be transmitted by routine household or social contact. So where had he gotten the idea in the first place? Fauci has never said, because no such evidence existed, as the Journal of the American Medical Association tacitly admitted by publishing a letter from two physicians after Fauci had made the first claim. It is too early, the doctors wrote, to suggest that AIDS is acquired by household contact without substantial evidence to support such a claim. It was indeed too early for responsible scientists, but it was not too early for Dr. Fauci, who made the implausible and sensationalist claim that 
Our experience suggests that children living in high-risk households are susceptible to AIDS and that sexual contact, drug abuse, or exposure to blood products is not necessary for disease transmission. As would be his habit decades later, Dr. Fauci rushed to the press, took both sides of the issue with enough speculative language to give him cover later on, and never apologized for getting it wrong. As would happen decades later, the press rushed to print whatever unsubstantiated sensationalism dripped from Fauci's lips. Household contacts can transmit AIDS, one nationally syndicated report read in May of 1983. Does AIDS spread by routine contact? Asked the Associated Press, quoting Fauci. Even the New York Times raised the question of household transmission, relying on Fauci's expertise. When other public health authorities, including President Ronald Reagan, Secretary of Health and Human Services, Margaret Heckler, suggested that there was no evidence that the general population was threatened by AIDS, few people believed her. Even conservative stalwart Pat Buchanan turned on Reagan's health secretary, quoting Dr. Fauci's editorial as evidence in a column that was entered into the congressional record. In Buchanan's defense, he was quoting the man everyone believed to be the nation's foremost expert on the virus. It just happened to be the case that the expert, who seemed so confident, was totally wrong. Now, Fauci had already begun to walk back his claims in June of 1983, less than two months after his JAMA article. It is absolutely preposterous to suggest that AIDS can be contracted through normal social contact, like being in the same room with someone or sitting on a bus with them, he told the Baltimore Sun. The poor gays have received a very raw deal on this. Fauci maintained that children could spread the virus in ordinary household interactions. He defended the poor gays, but not the poor children. Just as we would see decades later during his handling of the COVID epidemic, Dr. Fauci tailored his medical statements to political considerations. One of the most disconcerting aspects of the government's efforts to fight AIDS involved children, specifically foster children enlisted in drug trials funded by the NIH and Fauci's NIAID. Investigations that took place decades later discovered that the children enrolled in these studies often were not afforded a personal health advocate during the trials. The children suffered painful side effects from the experiments, including rashes, vomiting, and sharp drops in infection-fighting blood cells. In one study, at least 10 children died, four from blood poisoning. According to authorities at the time, the deaths did not appear directly attributable to the drug that was being tested, but were nonetheless disturbing. To this day, researchers have not explained why overall mortality among children receiving that drug in the trial was significantly higher. More shocking than any of these particular scandals, the misplaced priorities, the reckless press declarations, even the experimentation on wards of the state, is the way in which Fauci has survived all of these episodes unscathed. Fauci's uncanny ability to flit from failure to failure with the public none the wiser would reach its apex in the years after the AIDS crisis had died down, 
when Dr. Fauci would set the stage for the global coronavirus pandemic that he would come to take credit for curing. Dr. Fauci has been in power for a long, long time. How much longer can he cling to power? As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 